Well, today, as what Tim has mentioned, uh, we'll be taking a break from Galatians. Uh, it, has taken, it has surprised me that it has taken me more energy and effort uh, to settle, resettle back to Malaysia. So I've, kind, I've asked uh, Andrew for the permission that I do not preach from the Galatians passage. We'll actually take more time. So I have to ask permission to preach from a passage that I'm more familiar with, that I'm preach, I've preached from in the past. Hopefully it is not a passage I've preached from at smack already. You will tell me later, but I don't think you've heard it. Okay, It is from Romans that uh, we'll be studying uh, this morning. My apologies go to the GG uh, for it causes a disruption uh, to your regular study on Galatians. Uh, but I'm looking forward to looking at this passage with you. So let me pray for myself as well as for you as we listen to God together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that indeed your spirit is constantly at work in us, the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that as his people, those who have your spirit, those who are in Christ, we can be sure of this that you who began the good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. So, Father, we listen to your word this morning with confidence that you use these words to mold us to be more and more like Jesus, putting off our old self and to put on Christ, that you may be glorified. And we ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, keep your Bible open to Romans 8. We'll be looking at verses 19 to, the, to 30. Well, the future of our world can sometimes seem pretty positive. We see technology advancing beyond our wildest imagination. Apparently, with biomechanical implants nowadays, the lame can walk, the deaf can hear, and I believe that the blind can soon see. The internet seems to have cultivated an intercultural understanding and respect and tolerance among people worldwide. There's more peace. Universities around the world are booming, if not even more. Young people are pursuing their aspirations and dreams with great optimism about the future of our world. But it takes no rocket scientist to figure that our world is essentially still a gloomy place, a place of suffering and frustration. All it takes is just an honest look at the facts that are before us. In Malaysia, for example, suicide among young people has been a serious problem. According to the Malaysian Psychiatric Association, Seven people kill themselves daily, with young adults making up the majority. And this figure puts Malaysia as low as 180 in the world with regard to suicide rates. Globally, 30,000 children die each day of malnutrition, which means every 3.6 seconds, someone somewhere is dying of hunger. And I found this shocking but revealing question on an internet forum. Someone posted it and everyone else responded to it. And let me just quote one. The question asks, how many of your classmates died before graduation? 
One of the respondents said this, I lost one in sixth grade. Her heart stopped while she was sleeping. I lost another in seventh grade. He had a brain tumor and then another in the eighth grade. He got hit. She got hit by a truck in grade two. So she was on wheelchair. And when we were in grade eight, she ended up in a house with fire and wasn't able to get out because she couldn't walk. The truth is we live in a world that is plagued with suffering and frustration everywhere. And among those who frustrate and suffer in this world are Christians. It doesn't take very long after one becomes a Christian to know someone personally or another fellow Christian who is suffering or is still suffering. There are Christians suffering from depressions and cancers, suffering because of corruptions and injustice and criminal acts, suffering in fires and in floods. So it is not difficult to notice that as Christians, we ourselves are suffering with the rest of the world. And on top of these common frustrations that Christians share with the rest of the world, we suffer and frustrate even more. Why? We suffer the persecutions for holding values which are radically different from the rest of the world. We are unwelcomed by the rest of the world for the values that we hold. Furthermore, as we get frustrated with the corruptions of our world, we get frustrated with our own individual corruptions and sins within us. So all in, Christians really get a triple shot of frustrations and suffering as we live in this world. Amidst all these sufferings and frustrations that you face and perhaps are still facing as Christians right now, have you ever thought to yourself, isn't God supposed to be on my side? Shouldn't the blessings and protection of God be upon me? Of all people, shouldn't I, a child of God, have the power to conquer sins? So why? Why am I still suffering and frustrated? Am I not the precious child of God, the God who is the creator and sustainer? Haven't you ever considered the possibility that perhaps, just perhaps, there is no God after all? Perhaps your atheist, dad or aunt or colleague has been right after all, all this while. Like all other religions, Christianity is just another form of uh, imaginary clutches. Because if your loving father is God, the God who could spread Red Sea does exist, then how could he allow you to suffer? Or if he does exist, then perhaps the problem lies with you. The problem is that perhaps you, you, you don't fully trust him. Your faith is weak. That could explain why he's not blessing you, he's not protecting you from suffering. Haven't you ever considered that possibility in your walk as a Christian? I have. Well, the question that I want to raise this morning is this. Our present experience as Christian in this world seems to be one of suffering and frustration. Could this be right? The Christians in Rome were probably asking the similar question. For they find Paul's teaching contradicting with their present experience. 
Earlier in chapter 8, Paul just said that Christians is set free from the law of sin and death. In chapter 8, the Christians are children of God, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ. But how can those who have been set free from the sin of law and death still sin and still die? How can God's very own dearly loved children suffer? How can Christians maintain hope of eternal life in the face of sufferings and death? The passage that was read to us today from Romans 8, Paul answers this question. So let's take a look together. First of all, Paul says we must understand the present condition of this place that we are living in, this physical world. We need to understand it for what it is. Chapter 8, verse 19, it says, Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, Creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So what we see in these verses is that our physical world is actually in frustration, longing and groaning, for it, is, it has been unwillingly subjected to the fertility by God. What it is saying is, when the first man, Adam, when he rebelled against God in the garden, there are very real consequences, consequences that you and I still feel today. Adam's rebellion has effectively dragged the whole creation down with him. Adam's sin has brought death not only to himself, but to whole entire creation. That means the physical world we are living in now has been caught up with the consequence of the fall. Ever since sin entered the world through this one's man, disobedience, the perfect creation that was once there in Genesis 1 is lost. Genesis 3, God cursed the ground. He made man's habitat frustrating and decaying environment. It produces thorns and thistles. City dwellers like you and I really need to talk to farmers and fishermen just to be convinced of how harsh the world is. Our present creation is one of frustration and decay. But that is not all. Verse 19 says that creation is waiting. And verse 20 says that, yes, creation is subjected to fertility, but with hope. And then in verse 21, it says, it is revealed what hope creation is waiting for. Verse 21 says, creation is waiting for a time when creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In today's world, it is commonly understood that, or misunderstood that, creation is moving in an unending cycle. Birth and death. Birth and death. It's a cycle. But here we see that creation is also straining forward not in an unending cycle. It is straining forward to see a day in the future when sons of God, that are Christians, will be revealed. 
creation understands that when these sons of God are revealed for who they are, that is the signal for the restoration of the future, of nature. It signals the arrival of a time when creation will be set free from its bondage and decay. So, although frustrated and decaying now, our creation has a glorious future. The time will definitely come when creation will be renewed. For Christ has indeed died for our sins. He has conquered sin and he has defeated death. He has resurrected. Creation will be renewed, but it is just not now. Not yet. Now, instead, it is contraction time, according to verse 22. The pains of childbirth. Childbirth is painful. Not that I've experienced it. I've just seen it twice. It looked painful. I'm sure it is painful. But when the child comes, my wife smiles with joy. It is rewarding. Similarly, fallen, cursed creation, the world that we live in now is in pain. But the future is coming when it will be liberated. So I hope it is starting to make a better sense now why even as Christians, we should expect our present experience of our world to be frustrating and suffering. Because our world, the entire creation, is fallen, it is cursed along with Adam. God has condemned all of creation to frustration because of human sin. But if you are Christians sitting here today, you could say, fine, that is the condition of that physical world that we live in. It is in the mess, it is cursed. We expect a hostile environment. We expect a decaying environment. But am I not different? I'm not a plant or an animal. I'm a child of God. Surely I can expect some deliverance from the present pains and sufferings if I'm the child of God. Well, for that, Paul says we must understand the present condition of ourselves, our bodies. Take a look at verse 23. It says, And not only creation, not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons and the redemption of the bodies. Did you see that? Paul stresses that not only creation, but Christians groan inwardly. He stresses that point. Just as creation groans in frustration with the fertility of this world, this cursed world, Christians also groan in frustrations as well. And notice that it is those who have the first fruits, the deposit of the Spirit, who groan inwardly. Doesn't that surprise you? That the Holy Spirit, whom we as Christians receive, when we believe in Christ through the gospel, is the one who makes us groan, causing us to frustrate and long for the future redemption. It is common, isn't it, amidst our frustration and our struggle against the fallenness of this world and of ourselves, we sometimes think exactly the opposite. We tend to think that because we are groaning and suffering and frustrated, then perhaps we don't have the spirit. But Paul says exactly the opposite. He says it is precisely 
because we possess the Spirit, that we groan and long for the fulfillment of the final salvation to come. The Spirit prompts us to be unsatisfied with the present condition of this world, of our fallen world, and of ourselves. So yes, at present, though through the, at present, through the indwelling of the Spirit in us, we have already been transferred into a new age of blessing and salvation. The very fact, but the very fact that the Spirit is only the first fruits, that means that that makes us very sadly conscious that we have not yet severed all ties with the old age of sin and death, as we have seen in Galatians last week. At every point of our Christian life, there is always the existence of the flesh and of the spirit. We are still frustrated with our failures. We are still experiencing intense longing for the day when we will not fail anymore. Verse 23 tells us that the spirit prompts us to wait for two things. Firstly, the Spirit prompts us to long for the redemption of our bodies. Because our present bodies are unredeemed, unrenewed, they subject to frailty and decay that belong to our whole world. Death entered our world when man sinned, and that is why we are not immune to sickness, to disease, and to death. Christians still suffer in sickness, in death, and in diseases. But the day will come when there will be no pain, no sicknesses, and no death. The day will come when we have redeemed, resurrected bodies. But it's just not now. Secondly, the Spirit also prompts us to long to be adopted as sons. Yes, it is true that at the point of justification, Christians are already adopted into God's family. We are already God's sons now. We call God our Abba Father. But our adoption remains partial until our bodies have been fully renewed. In the present, as children, we disappoint God, our Father, through our disobedience, through our lack of trust in Him. That is why Christians groan with creation as we live our lives in our unrenewed fallen bodies. We long for the day when we are fully renewed, made like our Lord Jesus who fully trusted God, who fully lived a life of perfect obedience. Well, so far we have seen that although we are God's children as Christians, we are currently caught up with this fallen world. Creation is fallen. We ourselves are fallen. We have to endure the hardship that comes with our hostile and decaying environment. Christians are not immune from disease or disaster or suffering of any kind. And although God has certainly promised that we will be released from suffering and fulfillment of the promise, but the fulfillment of the promise lies firmly in the future, not now. That is why Christians are people of hope. Christians are people who look to the future. And that is why Paul says, verse 24, for in this hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees now? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Christians are people that live in light of the hope 
that we have in the future. Let me now draw to a close as we look at the last few verses from 26 onwards. The truth is, everyone in this world, whether you are Christians or Buddhists or Muslims, anyone at all, at one point or another of your life, you will suffer. You will frustrate with the present condition. How then is the life of a Christian different? What is the point then of being a Christian since everyone else suffer? Well, firstly, from what we have seen today, yes, the rest of the world suffer and frustrate. But the thing is, they don't know why. Let me explain. The world may know that the world may know how they are suffering. The world can describe which cancer cell is attacking which organ and therefore causes which kind of pain. They can describe how the suffering happens, but they don't know why it happens. Meteorological sciences can describe how a typhoon was built up and makes it hard for fishermen but they can't explain why it is happening. But as Christians, we are people who can understand and therefore have a realistic view of this world. This world is one which is subjected to futility because of human sin against God. We won't have a, we won't have a wrong expectation from such a fallen world, a world which has been cursed by God. Secondly, Christians know that creation and us will not be stuck in this suffering for God knows how long. We have a certain glorious future which God has promised. Christ has died, he has resurrected, he has brought in a new age. That is why Paul says in verse 18, for I consider the present time, the suffering, are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. Though Christians' suffering in this world may be real and often very painful, including suffering or being persecuted, but we are those who can set our present sufferings against the future glory that we will receive. For in our future glory, we will be perfectly restored in our relationship to God. We will be transformed into the likeness of Christ with no more sin and no more decay and frustrations. And our world will be renewed to the world of Revelation 21. Thirdly, as Christians continue to live in this fallen world, Paul reminds us that we are not left to fend for ourselves while we wait for that glorious day. Verse 26 to 27 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Christians have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weakness. Everyone is weak, but Christians have the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. 
the Holy Spirit prays for us according to God's will. And what is God's will? Verse 28 tells us, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. What is God's will for you? God's God's will for you and me is to be made into the image of His Son. Every one of us is in the process of being made into the image of something. You may have an idol when you were young. You want to be like Tiger Woods. You pursue and be like Tiger Woods. You may have an image of someone you have seen on TV or in the family. But God's will for us is bigger than that. He wants us to be like the perfect man, Jesus Christ. What would you choose? Who would you choose to be like? I would choose to be like Jesus, the perfect man, the perfectly obedient man who loved God. Christians need not worry if we are going to suffer when we suffer or whether we will survive the sufferings in this world. For none of these sufferings we face can stop us from being glorified. For we are told that God works in all things to achieve his will. This does not mean that everything will work out well in this world for Christians, which you and I know that it doesn't. But rather it means that God will use, he can use, every single situation that we are experiencing in this fallen world. No matter how it appears to us, it may appear that it is a good thing that has happened to us. It may appear that it's a suffering, it's a bad thing that has happened to us. It may appear that someone else is plotting evil against us and is hurting us. God is able and is using every single event that happens in our life to make us more like Christ. That's how powerful He is. And that's what He's doing. So when we are going through suffering in this world, the question to ask ourselves is not, God, why do you put me in such a suffering position? Why are you doing this to me? Rather, we can ask ourselves, God, how are you trying to make me more like Christ in this situation? That is the comfort and the different perspective that a Christian can have when we live in this world. Yes, Christians, we get a triple shot of suffering and frustrations in this world, but every one of those shots can be and will be used by God to make us more like Christ. So, brothers and sisters, our present experience as Christians in this world is one of suffering and frustration. Could this be right? Well, as Christians, we are not immune to sufferings. We are those who could be sad, who could be saddened by suffering, but we are not surprised by present sufferings. We know that our sins have brought us where we are in this fallen world. We also know that God has fixed it on the cross. So whatever present sufferings and frustration we are facing as followers of Christ, we know that we will definitely be glorifying. Verse 28 closes with this, and let me close with that. It says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those, and those whom he justified, he will also glorify. This is the fate of all Christians living in this sinful world. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your commitment to save us from our sins, to save us from ourselves, to save us from the false views we have been holding for years of who we are and what's happening to this world. We thank you for the commitment of the Spirit in working in our lives, in our minds, to change and transform us each day, not allowing us to be conformed to the pattern of this world. And we thank you that from your passage this morning, from Romans 8, you have given us a renewed vision of how to understand this world and the sufferings that we are going through. We are not immune to sufferings. We suffer like the rest of the world do but we can rejoice in sufferings. For we know that you have dealt with sin and you, the sovereign God, is using sufferings in our lives to make us more and more like Christ. So we pray, Father. Pray for myself and pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters here that this passage will shape the way that we view suffering and the way that we go through suffering. That we may be those who go through sufferings with confidence and comfort that you are at work through the sufferings for our good, for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.